the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. Today on Tech Nation, engineering mRNA to do more than just make a COVID vaccine. Dr. Francois Vineau, the co-founder and CEO of Shape Therapeutics, talks about how they're engineering mRNA to address Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And after that, just about any disease where your genes have gone astray. And now, Dr. Francois Vineau. Well, Dr. Vineau, welcome to Tech Nation. Thanks for having me. Now, thanks to the COVID vaccines, which are called mRNA vaccines, many of us have gotten comfortable with the idea that before any vaccines, our cells normally take our basic DNA, copy short sections to produce RNA. Now, mRNA, which the COVID vaccines are based on, mRNA is about 5% of the RNA our cells produce. And when they are executed, this mRNA programming, it produces a protein. Now, with respect to those COVID vaccines, they just give us the mRNA of the little spike protein. So the immune system knows it's a bad actor. So any virus which has that spike protein is removed by the immune system. That's the goal. This technique of intentionally giving us RNA, whether mRNA or any other kind of RNA, what can it do? What is its potential? Yeah, this is a great question. So uh, as you said, the role of the messenger RNA or mRNA is to code for protein for the immune system recognized to, for the vaccine to work. But the RNA could be seen as just a code, you know, to translate DNA into protein. Uh, so there's a whole set of technology that the world is building to use RNA for other purposes. So at, at Shape Therapeutics um, here in Seattle, what we're doing is building small RNA to use them to correct mutation in, in patients. So, so people are born with mutation or accumulate mutations in their life that could cause different type of disease. So the idea is could you tweak their code and fix the mutation using RNA uh, into these patients? And we can expand how we do this, but that's the underlying. Small RNA can be delivered to try to fix genetic disorder. Now, I know you're working on, among other things, you're working on Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Seems pretty complicated to me. Why is it small RNA? Isn't it more complex than just coding for the spike protein? The, the root cause of every disease is, is you, you have a mutation typically in your DNA. So that's, that's kind of your instruction of how your cell should work. And the RNA is just the messenger to become the protein. The protein is the function. So in a disease like Parkinson's disorder, for example, you could have a mutation in a gene called LERC2. And if you have this mutation, which 1% of Parkinson's patients have, which is about 150,000 patients, they develop a very severe form of familial Parkinson's disorder, very young, like very severe form. So most people don't have the mutation. So hopefully you and I don't have it and will never have that, the disease. But those that have this mutation is an error in their code. Uh, so there's different way to fix it. You know, one idea would be you could fix it at the DNA level, which is quite challenging. Or you could fix it with, you know, small molecule and drugs at the protein level. But the idea with RNA technology is what if you were to fix it in between, right, at the messenger RNA level? What if if you were to go in that patient and provide a better set of RNA instruction to replace the, the mistaken one that that patient's making? Essentially making that patient like you and I without that mutation and therefore preventing the onset of a disease like Parkinson's disorder. 
And this is all done by trying to provide RNA, small RNA that fix that error in the code uh, in the right type of cell in the brain and hopefully you know, prevent the onset of the disease or, or stop the disease progression of the patient. Same apply for Alzheimer's disease. You know, there's sets of mutations that are found in Alzheimer's patient. And again, the, the, the root cause of the disease is fully defined here, uh, but there is gene that patient overexpress or missing or have specific mutations. So the idea is you could supplement or replace or tune the mRNA that the cells are producing in the neurons of the patient to try to prevent the diseases. Now, in both cases, in the case of Parkinson's, you were talking about an example with which affects 1% of Parkinson's patients. But I would imagine that you're looking to see all the different types of Parkinson's and, and all the genetic variations that might cause them. And the same with Alzheimer's. Is it, these are not single genetic mutation problems. They are multiple ones. So do we know all the places, all the genetic pieces throughout the, our DNA, which would cause these diseases? No, no, we don't. And, uh, and there's two, two parts to, to the answer. So in, in the case of Parkinson, another uh, program that we're doing at, at Chief Therapeutics is, you know, beyond the 1% patient, most Parkinson patients overexpress a gene called alpha-synuclein. They overexpress way too much of it, part of the disease. The why is not super well defined, but the idea is what if you could bring it back down to a normal level? And people have performed, you know, animal studies that show that if you were to, you know, readjust the level of this protein to the right level, that it seems to be very beneficial uh, for the disease. So you can use RNA instead of fixing a mutation to cause one to shut down overexpression of gene. So you can start playing with the whole cell system inside the patient and deciding what messenger RNA gets expressed, which one don't, what level you want to get out of it to try to regulate, you know, level of protein and try to fix the disease. The second part to, to the answer is for a lot of diseases, you, you have to, you know, figure out what you're going to go after. You know, some disease is pretty obvious. For example, cystic fibrosis, you have mutation in the gene, the gene CFTR. And if you have mutation there, you know you're going to have cystic fibrosis. So it's purely a question of you fix it or you don't, right? And how efficient is your drug at fixing it? Uh, but more complex disease like Parkinson's disorder, a lot of autoimmune disease, even cancer, quite often it's poorly known the totality of the explanation of why disease is happening. Uh, so this is where we start looking at using AI to try to uncover the underlying of diseases. Uh, AI is very popular in the past few weeks now with OpenAI and so on. But we do apply a very similar system and, and at Shape Therapeutics. We do generative AI to try to study, you know, in Alzheimer's disease, Know, what are the genes I should go after based on all the published data in the world, all the database, all the sequencing data that's been published, and also experiment that we do in the lab. We put all that data into a machine learning model, and, and the machine learning model spits out you know, potential gene to go after, a potential pathway that was unknown to man that are worth studying, and then you can move and validate them. And we also use AI to develop these small RNA. Uh, initially, when we started the company, we had to manually make them and screen thousands of them, which is really laborious. And through that learning of making RNA to do RNA editing, we, the machine learning model was able to come up with solution of how the system works. So now we're able to take any mRNA, any genes that you want to modify, we can put in the computer and, and get an output that tells us this is the RNA you should make and move into the patient. So it's quite powerful application of AI. So if I understand this, you had to take a whole lot of data, likely from a whole lot of people, both healthy ones and those in the midst of the disease. How much data did you have to look at? 
I don't know the size of it uh, personally. It's it's pretty pretty massive. It's whatever we can find. Uh, the, the beauty with machine learning model is you're only as good as your input, you know, data, but you also want to reserve data that the model hasn't seen. So you basically build a training set on on data that's available, and you keep secret some other piece of data to test that your model is uh, working. We're constantly generating, you know ton and ton of sequencing data on different cell line, different model. So we have the ability of taking a patient, like we can't take a brain biopsy of someone living, obviously. So what we do is you, we take skin cells of a patient that has specific disease that's in Parkinson's. We bring that in the lab and we transform these cells into neurons. We make iPS cells, as they're called, uh, and just pluripotent stem cells. So we can make a patient's derived skin cell back into a neuron so that we can study the impact of RNA tool to try to you know fix the mutation that caused Parkinson's that patient and other patient. When we're doing all this, we're constantly sequencing the cell, running study, and all of that goes into the machine learning model, including you know any data we may have on the patient that could be useful. And then you let you let the machine learning run its magic, and and you see what comes out of it. And it's quite shocking sometimes how it comes up with solution you would never think of that really works. You still need to value it on the back end. But, you know, right now, what you're seeing in society is people are worried about potentially the AI and what's going to happen in the world with AI. They are a very good, useful application of AI. You know, we are trying to make drugs very efficiently so that we can change the cost and cure more patients. Like, these are good applications of AI. So there's a whole crew of people out there in life science using AI, you know, to help the world uh, and hopefully cure as many patients as possible. You also mentioned something about this is RNA therapy. This is not stem cell therapy. It's not the cell therapy that goes in and changes your DNA permanently. Why is cell therapy permanent, whereas RNA therapy is not? Yeah, this is a, a great question. And I'll try to explain a bit more what, what, how we do RNA editing at SHAPE. Uh, there's a set of protein that we're leveraging that are already in you that's, that's doing this. So if people have heard of CRISPR, most people have used CRISPR. CRISPR is a bacterial system that's able to edit DNA really well. Uh, the problem with this system is anything foreign put in a human is recognized by the immune system as being foreign, right? So the idea at SHAPE was, well, what if, if you already had the equivalent of CRISPR in you? What if, if there was a human version of it? And there isn't that we know of, but there's this protein called ADAR that is expressed in all of your cells. And what ADAR does is it edits your RNA at hundreds of thousands of sites across your mRNA. Naturally. You, you have it already. Naturally. It just does it. It's part of your regulation. Without it, you don't exist. You die. Like it's a natural mechanistic of cell function. What we did was simply study how is ADAR editing RNA naturally. And we said, what if, if I provided a different RNA to hijack it and force it to edit elsewhere of my choosing? For example, that, that lurk 2 Parkinson example. What if I provide that protein instruction, go do it here instead and fix that mutation? That's what we're doing. So we're hijacking a natural process of editing by forcing it to happen. Hijacking. Or, or co-opting, <laughs> if you prefer. I like hijacking. I like hijacking. I like hijacking as a technical term. You're, so hijacking, this great scientific technical term, you're saying the ADAR is in there, in our systems, working, 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 and you're like, let's take a few and direct them to a different place with some of our engineered RNA. Exactly. And we, the way we were able to achieve, so uh, we, we announced some, some data recently where we've shown we're able to get 80% editing efficiency in mouse 
neurons of a disease model uh, and one of our partnership with, uh, with Roche. The, how we got there, because when we started Shape, you'd see like 1% or 2% efficacy. How we got to such a high level is using AI. We made thousands and thousands of these guys' RNA. We screened them in different cells in a dish and you know, tried to discover which structure of RNA worked, which one didn't. And then you take all your winner and all your loser, and then you put that into your machine learning model. And you start asking, is there patterns that exist that you know, we can learn from? And every time we run this experiment, we feed it to the machine learning model and it learns and it learns. And eventually it says, I know how it all works. Now, if you tell me your problem, I'll make you the perfect guide RNA every time. Uh, so we're able to generate these guide RNA using our AI model that when we put them back to test in a, in a cell in a dish or you know, an animal model, we're getting very, very high efficiency. So we understood the rule through the work we've done for the past four years of how to edit any RNA of your choosing. But now the question becomes more about you know, what disease should you go after and also how do you deliver your RNA to the right cell type you know, as safely and as efficacy as possible and how can you make it affordable for society long term. Now this doesn't happen often, but I ask a question and I didn't quite get my question answered, but the answer was so much better than anything. The answer between the cell therapy, which is changing your DNA permanently, and anything RNA is once the RNA executes, it's no longer there. Yeah, sorry, I took us elsewhere. I, t- I tend to do that, but it's a great question. So let me, I'm not trying to be a politician and not answer, but because it's a good question. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, no, no. But but I love what you said, because what I'm getting here is a picture of a company that everything that it does, not just some patient data, it's got AI working on, it's got all of its experimental data tied into that. It's got every piece of data, every source of data in the entire process ends up getting fit, fed into uh, structures that the AI can address to help and will continue to for as long as shape is shape. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's the power of AI. But uh, do you want me to answer your first question? Sure. <laughs> so the, uh, a lot of cell therapy is what's called ex vivo. You, and I was at Juno Therapeutics before I founded Shape, which is uh, one of the first CAR-T company in the, cell, in the field of cell, cell therapy. Uh, so what we did was take the T-cell from patients that have leukemia and lymphoma, teach the T-cell how to hunt down the cancer and put it back in the patient. So that is cell therapy. We call that ex vivo cell therapy. You have to take the cell out of the patient, tweak the cell and put it back. And, and it makes manufacturing difficult, there's cost to it, but boy, it's saving so many patients' life. Uh, it's fantastic. Gene therapy is a bit different. Gene therapy is trying to act inside the patient's body out of the gate. So we call that in vivo-based therapy. Uh, so that's the main distinction. And even cell therapy is starting to get inside the patient a bit sooner. Uh, but your question also have a component of a permanence. Most of the cell in your body as an adult are fully differentiated. About 95% of your body are, are differentiated cells that no longer divide or hardly divide. For example, your neurons, you, you have a set of neurons and they don't repair, right? Skeletal cell, muscle cells, they basically are very long lived, like decades. Uh, so... The challenge with RNA is RNA is supposed to be transient. You know, your DNA is permanent in your cell. It makes messenger RNA that are get used. Once they're used, they're destroyed. So we had to find a way to make these RNA permanent because the patient's constantly making RNA with mutation. So our toolkit's trying to fix that. So our toolkit needs to be there forever. Otherwise, you'd have to take a drug every time, like every month or every you know couple of weeks. 
So the way we would do this is we use a set of viruses called uh, AAV, adeno-associated virus. They're a naturally occurring virus that are known to infect humans that have very little symptom. And what the industry's done is, you know, you strip the virus from its infectious component and you, you put your favorite RNA in it. So I'll make an analogy with the COVID vaccine, right? So, so in the COVID vaccine, the way you deliver the mRNA is you put it into LNP. It's a liposome formulation. It's, it's a, basically an envelope of synthetic fat layer. And then you, you deliver that to patient. The problem with this for gene therapy is it's not permanent. You'd have to redose this over and over and over every other month, right? And, and for Parkinson's disorder, you get a problem this would need to make it to the brain. You have to read those over and over. So what we did instead is focus on virus. There's a class of virus, AV, that are able to deliver your RNA in a way that's permanent. And this is a safe virus that infects human, that's been infecting for millions of years, that have very little symptoms. So we're using normal safe human virus. We strip it out of its content so it's non-infectious. We replace it with the RNA that we're trying to deliver to that Parkinson patient. What the virus does is it's able to infect the cell, deliver the RNA, and then the immune system gets rid of the virus. The same way when you have a cold, for example. And then, but now you're left with a set of instructions to fix the disease. The way the virus inserts its instruction in the cell is beautiful. It creates a, a little circle of DNA that stays in the cell forever as long as the cell is alive. And most of your cells in your body stays for decades or lifelong. For example, neurons, you have them for your whole life. So if you're able to deliver this little toolkit of RNA with these virus in the neurons of the patient, they will be there likely forever, constantly trying to fix the mutation and hopefully preventing progression of the diseases. So while we have been thinking of, and I'm talking about the non-science audience here, we've been thinking of RNA as transient, as you say, and the DNA is permanent. You're talking about one and done. You're talking about, yeah, it is transient, but we're putting it in your body in a way that the RNA will keep producing and producing and producing in your very own cells. Is that right? Exactly. We're, we're essentially delivering a mini printing factory inside the cell that will keep printing the correct RNA to fix the one you're missing or the mutation you're trying to fix. They keep the toolkit that produce, you know, the, the instruction forever and hope that that is what the patient needs. So how do you give us the virus? That's a great question. So the, the, the other hurdle that we have to, to, to figure out is most of the viruses and also the LNP for COVID vaccine, they end up, when you give them to, to the blood of a patient, they will end up 99% in your liver and only 1% elsewhere. So, the cha- so if you're in a liver disorder, that's great. But if you're in Parkinson's disorder, that's not so good. Less than 1% of your tool will make it to the right cell. So what we had to do is re-engineer these viruses to make them specific to the brain. Again, here, this is a good example of the use of AI. We took these, these viruses that are composed of amino acid, so they're essentially a big protein, and we started modifying specific section with every possible combination of amino acid. So we're trying to re-engineer the surface of the virus in a way that it would become specific to neuronal cells. And we were able to achieve that. We screened, uh, we ended up synthesizing a hundred billion virus variant. We ended up injecting them in different models to study 
are some of these mutations now making neurons? Are some just going to liver? Are some going to heart, the eyes, and so on? And then again, using machine learning, we took all the winners that went to the brain and not the liver and started studying the patterns of it. And out of that emerged a set of candidates virus that are extremely specific to the brain. Uh, historically, what people would do is they would take a classic AV virus and they would either drill your skull and try to implement it there, or they would inject into a spinal tap to try to get the brain. And nobody wants that, right? There's complication, there's risk, and it's like still very inefficient. So what we did is we built viruses that I can give the sample blood draw one time, they will cross your broad-brain barrier, transduce your neurons at high efficiency, deliver your favorite toolkit. In our case of shape, it's the, the small guide RNA to fix the mutation. And then your toolkit now is there forever to try to fix the, the, the patient's diseases. Uh, so we're just playing physics on top of biology and leveraging AI to find the better solution. And once you have that, then it's not only good for shape, it's, it's good for any company that's trying to get into the brain to deliver the favorite toolkit, you know, RNA or, you know, for different purpose. Uh, so we're trying to make these tools available to the, the industry and the academic world to be able to play, play with these and, and hopefully help more disease than what one company can do at all. You're listening to Tech Nation. I'm speaking with Dr. Francois Vineau, the co-founder and CEO of Shape Therapeutics in Seattle. So one-time treatment is the goal. And the reason is cost safety, you know, efficacy, uh, you know, nobody wants to take a drug every month. What if, if you could do it one time? And there's a way to do that by building just different tool to, to make it happen. Uh, in the case of vaccine, not quite the same, right? As we see the, the, the virus evolve. So even if you had a one-time, you know, Delta, you know, variant vaccine, you know, yes, it's in you forever, but it wouldn't it wouldn't matter because the Omicron is so different that you need a new vaccine. So it's a bit you gotta different. Got to program Where, something new. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a different disease almost, right? So, so in the case of Parkinson's or Alzheimer or you know Rett syndrome, you know that 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 disease does not evolve. The mutation is fixed in your DNA. So it's about fixing that in a one-time treatment. Now these are early days, and and I know you have a significant partnership with big pharmaceutical company Roche is uh, an example. Uh, and yet I keep thinking about how long it takes to develop drugs, how much testing you've got to go through. Um, and new drugs cost more than existing drugs. And some of these new RNA drugs are extremely expensive. And I'm talking about the ones that one and done. You get one treatment. Yeah, so the, the economics is a big, complex situation, right? Uh, you know, if you look at, there's only a few approved drug in the gene therapy space. One of the more meaningful ones from Novartis, it, it, it cures a young patient that have spinal muscular atrophy. No, it was a very bad disease, very sad disease. My first publication when I started my master's degree 20 years ago was actually in that disease. So, so I, I care daily about that disease. Um, the cost of treatment is about $2.5 million. Right, so it's 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 a bit difficult to swallow. Oh, your one injection, your one IV treatment is two and a half million dollars. Uh, yeah, that's what Novartis charge for, for this, and it's not an IV injection in their case. Um, they they inject into the the, it's called an intratecal injection. It's a bit like an epidural, uh, you know, in young kids. So it's you know, if your parents and your kids have that disease, obviously you want to cure your disease. You most people, I'm going to assume, don't have $2.5 million. And there's a whole, like, what's 
the price of a life of a kid, right? I would I would argue it's priceless. It's more than 2.5. But and if you're insured, well, you still have like a, a society problem. Economically, it's not viable to treat every gene therapy disease if it's going to charge cost million. And I'll give you the example of Alzheimer. There's five million patients in the U.S. with Alzheimer right now. So even if if you were to charge two million dollar per treatment for once and done perfect cure for it, you will bankrupt the economy quicker than COVID did. So the way that you fix costs is not by squeezing margin and telling pharma company charge less, right? It's by building completely novel technology that completely disrupt the cost of making these drugs. So that's what we're trying to do at Shape by having better delivery, better manufacturing, and having AI that can do the work instead of having 100 people in the lab for five years. If you have a single computer that can spit it out in five minutes, it does impact cost drastically. Um, we believe that there's a set of tools that we're building and that others are building, but we're heavy in building these tools at Shape that one day makes these 2 million drugs, like the Novartis drug, into a $200,000 drug and one day into a $20,000 drug. And, and it's practical to, uh, to picture that it should be a $2 drug. And I believe this will happen the next decade if we really try hard and we really care. But one thing, for, maybe I have a Canadian bias towards free health care. I'm French-Canadian. But we cannot charge millions of dollars for gene therapy long term. It will not be sustainable for society. Our system's not built to take that. And so we have to make drugs where um, the pharma makes money so they keep making R&D. But it needs, to be the, it needs to be in a way that if there's millions of patients with disease, you can afford to make it for society. And also if it's a disease that is a single person in the world that has it, it's also worth chasing. And that's also a problem right now with the way we do no pharma. Uh, research, right? Most most company will make a decision that if there's not enough patient with the disease, they won't chase it because the cost of making is too high. But what if if you can make truly personalized medicine, and every child could have a treatment? If you can sequence the genome and you know what the mutation is causing the disease, there's no reason why you couldn't make an RNA to try to to cure that single child. We're not there today, but we are building the tool, and and you could you could see that it's actually possible to get there. In, in, uh, in a couple of years. You know, I haven't ever had a guest who actually spoke about what you were just speaking about, that it is completely possible to have new treatments that are cheaper than the old treatments. It's like, wait a minute, we got a way to do this. Um, but secondly, I have never had a guest who mentioned how to use AI in so many different ways within the company to make the whole thing come together. I have to say, Dr. Vino, it's, this has been absolutely terrific. And, and please thank you so much for coming on and, and, and know that you're always welcome on Tech Nation. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for all the great question. And happy if people want to read about Shape Therapeutics, go on shapetechs.com and feel free to reach out to us. We're always welcoming to talk to people. Dr. Francois Vineau is the co-founder and CEO of Shape Therapeutics in Seattle. More information is available at shapetx.com. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.